of Date with the Night, and today's guest is photographer, DJ, and UX designer, Ron Snake. How are you, Ron? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I love getting to know you because when I started this account, I think I only had maybe less than 1,000 followers, and you were already up in my DMs sending me all these really amazing pictures and also telling me all these amazing stories about your time going to parties in LA and San Francisco and You taught me a lot of things that I didn't actually know about from this era. So thank you for that. And I've really loved seeing all of your photos. Yeah, thanks for encouraging me and supporting me to bring out my photos out of the archives and revisit this whole era and reunite with some friends and things like that. It's been pretty cool. That's interesting that you bring up reuniting with friends because I was wondering if since posting your photography, if you've reconnected with anyone that maybe you lost contact with. Yeah, there's some side chats that I've had on Instagram with some friends. I used to go to this bar called Vine Bar, and we've reconnected. And there was a friend, someone that was out in the parties, and we ended up going to a hotel called Editions. And this guy, DJ Harvey, DJed, and kind of just felt like old times in a certain way, but not old times. It felt like, not like we were trying to relive the past. It just felt like what you want to feel. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? the like, best parts. yeah. What was your initial reaction when you kind of heard that this was coming back and you had this great archive of photos that you've taken? Someone I knew that was like a photographer up here in San Francisco, actually. I think you found a Flickr account of his photos. He was all excited. And then I looked at your account and I'm like, oh, I knew this was going to happen at some point. Someone was going to do this. And I saw there was a photo that maybe I took or maybe Mark took, but I was there that same night. And there was a photo of a girl I dated who happened to actually be hanging out at my place. And I think it was like mislabeled. And I'm like, no, that's actually this person here. I know I remember I showed you some of those photos from that night. And then I was in them and stuff. And (laughs) I was wearing like a Vice (laughs) magazine hat that was like kind of corny on me. But I was kind of excited about it at the time. (laughs) I think I know what photo you're talking about. It's the one where she's got long brown hair and she's wearing like a yellow sweater. And she has one of those everlasting gobstopper things. Jawbreakers, we call them here. Jawbreaker, yes. She has one of those. And I tagged it as Bethany Moda, which is like this YouTube personality. And I was like, (laughs) it's very strange that she would have been in the clubs during this time because she's not really from that era. I think she's too young to have grown up during that time or gone to any party. So I really appreciated you correcting me on on that and giving me the right information. I always appreciate when people let me know the truth of the matter. Sure, yeah. How did you find yourself taking photos for the Cobra Snake and capturing all these epic moments yourself at all of these parties? It's like a perfect storm of how it all ended up to this. I was a photographer in high school. I had a really good photography program, actually. Some really good talented people came out of that program. I learned and I really liked photography. I liked capturing the moment. I also continued my studies when I was at Santa Monica College, not majoring in photography ever, just enjoying it. And I just thought of it as a hobby. And sometimes I'd go through periods of not taking photos or whatever, because it's an expensive hobby back then. Mm -hmm. I was also interning at Warner Brother Records, 
where my sister worked as a publicist. That's really cool. It was cool. I mean, there were a lot of egos and stuff to deal with there. And actually- (laughs) Many such cases. Yeah. It was like a thing where you're the young kid and no one wants to listen to what you have to say. I don't think I was like super imposing. I just wanted to talk music. And a lot of people there were like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. I was also volunteering at KCRW, which was like, if you don't know, it's like a really cool radio station, like NPR station that had a lot of live guests like Beck and Flaming Lips. Kind of the daytime was indie rock and then the nighttime was like electronic um, music. And so I got to know all, like all these different types of bands and DJs and producers and then sometimes even meeting them in real life. And I think I was 20 when I was at Warner Brothers I met Steve Aoki there. One of his bands, the Von Bondies from Detroit, they got picked up by Warner Brothers. My sister was handling them for publicity. And that was like originally, like he kind of discovered that band. And he was just like a genuinely nice guy. And he had a party in Hollywood that he invited me to go to. And I started going out with some friends and stuff to parties. And what was happening was like, we had a music scene that was more of a a listening scene. I mean, there's always local bands in LA, but we didn't have any big acts. They're all coming out of like New York, Detroit, London, Australia too. But what would happen is these bands that had a lot of hype to them would go, they'd play somewhere like the Troubadour, which is like a small but reputable venue. All the people that got in to seeing those bands play were all music industry people. The only way to see the band is not really to see them play, but to see them DJ the after parties. It was usually Vice Magazine and Red Stripe Beer and Dim Mac Records, which was Steve's label, had like some sort of party somewhere under a bridge or near a trade depot in the, so the warehouse <laughs> district. Yeah, it was cool. The warehouse district of L.A., it was cool because like these bands, they're not playing like their contemporaries music. They're not, you know, Franz Ferdinand wasn't playing like the rapture or something. They were playing like the stuff like talking heads or just other like post-punk things. I remember like the rapture did a, an essential mix on BBC radio one and it wasn't like, super mixed well or anything but the track selection was amazing and it was like cool to get kind of like this insight and what influenced them and i'm kind of like getting on a tangent i love it keep going (laughs) (laughs) anyway i started going to, to that and i also was a bit kind of wanting to fit into the social scene and i felt like i probably was like trying a little too hard or something hanging around some of the wrong people that were just out into the hedonism and they're definitely drinking too much and doing too many drugs and not really balancing their life out. Mm -hmm. I was staying away from that, but I kind of felt that dark vibe and just got burnt out on it, had some like terrible crushes that (laughs) didn't go anywhere and just made me feel sad. Probably wasn't getting enough sunlight too. Started feeling a bit depressed and like, you know, realizing I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I had all these cool internships, but I'm like, well, what I want to do in life And I just took a break from going out and got a job at an Apple store, which at the time was like cool. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. This was like the time when MacBooks were just introduced. It was PowerBooks. And then suddenly the MacBooks came out and there were iPods. It's funny because sometimes, you know, I would interview for music industry jobs and I would think like they would think it was cool that I had Warner Brothers, CNN, later CNN and KCRW. But the thing they thought was the coolest is that I worked at an Apple store. 
Anyway, I got my life together. I got into a university somehow pretty quickly. The first semester, I was in a class called Canadian Geography, actually. <laughs> That's amazing. Which actually proved to be useful later on when I worked in music management. And there was like some Canadian tours and stuff that some acts had to go on. Anyways, so I was in that class and the professor's like, oh, Rosa Parks just died. And here's the LA Times paper that talks about her life. And I look at the paper and I'm like trying to find the article about her. And I see on the front page, it's about Mark Hunter. And I'm like, that guy that like never would take a photo of me because it probably wasn't cool enough. <laughs> like he's on the cover. Like what the hell is he doing on here? In the article, he goes to the Apple store that I worked at. And I'm like, that's funny. And about like an hour or two later, my sister who was working at Warner Brothers and she was at that band, the Von Bondies. She's like, hey, do you want to go with me in this band to this party in the Hollywood Hills? It was like a Blender magazine party called like Young Hollywood or something like that. And she's like, I'm going with the Von Bondies and Jenny Lewis. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I meet my sister and the band at this parking garage on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. And these like escalades from Detroit, they like shuttle us to the top of the Hollywood Hills. And there's this house there that was in the movie. I love you, man. It was known as the Ferrigno house. And I enter in the house and it's like noisy and there's lights and this and that. And the shins are playing. The like is playing also in the living room. And later on the shins are playing in the living room. And I'm just like, okay, this is kind of weird. And at the time there was this vibe that I think was kind of present and it was like we knew that LA was a bit cheesy and plastic and fake and we were not New York and we were not substantive and all that stuff and we kind of like wanted to distance ourselves from celebrities it was more about like being about the music and this and that and there wasn't too much like mingling between like the indie rock kids at the time and celebrities and I remember talking to Jenny Lewis and suddenly like Paris Hilton walks between us and we like just kind of like laugh a little. And Were you like, that's hot? <laughs> yeah, it was like that era. It was that, that's hot era. It was actually a pretty cool party. I don't know even who was DJing. It sounds cool. It sounds like a scene out of a movie, that whole experience you just described. Yeah, like I hadn't been out. So for me, like being back and everyone's like being in a surreal place like this where people are actually nice and I kind of I don't know. I still felt a little like... Like an outsider in a sense? Or... Yeah, I felt detached. I think I felt like an outsider just because I hadn't been out so long. And I don't know, just going through stuff, you know, as you're going through stuff in your early 20s. Mm -hmm. And there was some girl that I was kind of like, we were making out of it. And Mark like comes up to us and takes a picture, not while we're making out, while we're like sitting next to each other. And I was like, hey, I know you. I just read that article about you. You would go to that Apple store that I work at. And he's like, oh, can you get me a discount? I'm like, maybe. <laughs> which I totally could of course and I like see the photos later and I'm like finally I'm you know there's a photo of me and on there and I had to like be like oh yeah you know no big deal <laughs> and you know there was like Mike Tyson was there too and like all these people I'm like I didn't see these people <laughs> yeah we like stay in touch and I was interning at CNN at the time he was working in an office not far from there so I walked over and I didn't realize that Steve Aoki was in the same office and Steve he like remembered me and I don't know, he was just like, oh, it's you, it's Ron. And I'm like, cool. And they started calling me Apple Ron because I worked at the Apple store. And 
And Mark was like, hey, you can fix our computers and stuff. And Steve was like, do you want to intern for me? And I just was like, oh, God, I've interned it so much. I was like, you know, hook me up and I'll help you out when I can. If you have like extra free stuff, because you're like, they have like tons of clothes everywhere that everyone's like sending them free clothes because, you know, they end up in photos and, you know, tastemakers and all that stuff and proto influencers. And they were like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, cool, that's a deal. Actually, it's funny. I'm looking in my closet and I still have one jacket that I got from Steve back then. And it's still in like really good condition. And it's like actually a really cool jacket. You have to describe the jacket to our listeners. It's almost like a Marty McFly jacket, you know, in Back to the Future 2. Sick, yes. But it's green. Ooh. It's WSC brand when WSC was doing really cool stuff. It's got like kind of like this nice little insulation to it. Man, this is a cool jacket. Yeah, you need to keep that. Don't sell it on Depop. No. They don't deserve it. <laughs> I've had this for years and it looks great. It's like not worn out or anything. I'm wearing it now and it's like pretty cool. So yeah, I was helping out Mark. You know, he's trying to kind of scale up his operations a bit because he was flying a lot. He started going to New York a lot and he was trying to hire other people to take photos. And I remember this one girl he hired she was like, okay. She was like, nice, I guess. But she would take a lot of photos of herself <laughs> and then give Mark the photos. <laughs> and she got fired from that pretty quickly. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I kind of love her. I mean, she didn't do her job well, but I still, I love that for her. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would, I would show Mark photos that I took. Finally, he was like, Ron, you need to take photos for me, like do in a space. He like, posted like a, just like a collection of some of my photos and people were pretty excited or at least friends were pretty excited about that and I had already gone to the parties enough and known everyone and felt pretty comfortable you know I was capturing the moment it wasn't about me it was about me seeing the you know the couple making out in the corner while everyone's like dancing around or like the barf on the floor or the roach on the wall or like all the other things that like you want to take photos of but also the stuff in between I felt that he saw that I had that. And there's this zine that still kind of is around that I look up to that's actually San Francisco based called Hamburger Eyes. And I wish I was like purely what that was. And it was just like all the weird stuff. I like Vice Magazine too, but this takes it to like a level that not like a shock level uh, greater than Vice, but just like more raw level. And it was just some photography style that I really liked where you're just capturing this moment of like weirdness or different emotions and things like that. And there was a music scene that I was interested in and that was like the New York music scene that was like this rock dance like disco punk sort of thing that was going on and that was something I just was wishing LA had its own version of that or something mm -hmm. I was just a fan of those bands and did what I could to kind of capture anything like that when it came through LA maybe it was a side of me that was like trying to challenge the snobbiness of New York into like hey we're cool too I don't know I just like the music. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Like quickly, I realized I was making more money working for Mark and working less and was able to quit my job at Apple. And it was cool for me to just kind of, you know, approach my social anxiety and just deal with it in these spaces where it's should be like kind of nerve wracking. It was kind of like a, what they call in psychology, flooding, mm -hmm. where you're just fully exposed to like something that would 
make you anxious and is able to kind of get over that. I feel you on that. Like that gravy train song, Hella Nervous, that's like my base level persona. So I feel you. I totally throw myself into things that scare me just so I can kind of have that exposure therapy in a sense to break through and yeah. become more comfortable around people or more comfortable in big experiences that might be kind of intimidating. I was a bit self-aware and I'm like, okay, people are gonna, maybe they're gonna really like me as a person. Maybe they're gonna like me for taking photos, but I can't let this get to my head. And, you know, I just have to remember where I came from and who I am and don't listen to the people that are gonna think that you've like turned into some like Hollywood kid or something like that. And mm -hmm. there's no depth to who you are. And so it was good that I felt that way because that ended up happening. There were people who were like kind of judging me and I didn't let it bother me so much. I'm like, who, whatever, who cares? A sign of success is having haters, so. I agree, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've talked about that before, that's true. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so. you gotta welcome the haters. Yeah, they love you just as much. It's just they love you in a different way. <laughs> You've been to all these really cool parties. Like I, you were at that Coachella after party with Jeremy Scott with like Peaches and Eli Roth and Beth Dito was in attendance and Solange. Yes. I don't know what year was that, 2000. Nine or ten? Yeah, I can't recall off the top of my head. I probably should have kept the post on the sideline so I could refer to it. But yeah, it was toga themed, I think. I'm so interested to kind of find out the vibes of some of these really big ones that people go back to over and over again. The cool thing about these parties is that they were not stuffy and there were like celebrities, but no one made a big deal about it. You know, everyone was just like having fun and everyone was like loose. And that's what was cool is that we were ourselves and you know we were enjoying music and enjoying like being out in the desert and at Coachella and at a pool at night and there was like hors d'oeuvres and drinks and stuff and it was fun and there were people cannonballing into the pool I believe that was like Lisa K and maybe toasty cakes that went in the pool that's awesome yeah you gotta always respect that one person that really just goes for it yeah I think that shows how loose it got i see like daytime parties of like the last coachella you know i'm glad coachella's still around but actually no that was not coachella but there were side parties around coachella in this past year where no one was in the pool and it was like in the daytime <laughs> like what the hell is going on here you know everyone has like their makeup perfectly and all that stuff they don't want to mess it up and i don't know about that vibe well i was going to ask you about that because that has been a topic of conversation over this last coachella you know there's so many great acts and i would still love to go to coachella but people comment that it seems to be more influencer based versus maybe the more relaxed vibe like even the outfits that celebrities were wearing to coachella in the 2000s were pretty relaxed and they weren't over the top why do you feel like it's lost that kind of casual vibe. Maybe that's just how we lived the past few years where <laughs> maybe we forgot how to party and have fun. Sure, you could like rightfully say like me working with Cobra Snake, we were influencers of sort, but it wasn't about us. It was just about everyone else doing their thing. And now it's like kind of the influencer is also usually the camera person too. And they're not... They're not taking photos of other people. They're taking photos of themselves. Like yeah. that friend you worked with for Cobra Snake who got fired. Yes. She was ahead of the crowd, really. She was just like 10 years too early. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're too connected. 
I remember when Coachella was like, there was barely phone service or there was phone service in the beginning, but it was just too difficult to text people all the time. There was no group message. And later on, as more people showed up, network capacity couldn't handle all the people. So you were in the moment and that's cool. I remember when even Burning Man, which I never been to, but I remember when suddenly they got phone service there and I'm like, oh no, we're going to get all these damn posts all the time. It's not going to be that week of just like nothing. And then, <laughs> and then suddenly everything gets posted. But yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm going to show up to a bar or party and not take my phone out. I'm like guilty of of that. But I know it's not fun. It's like more fun when you have to interact with people. It just comes to that thing of like technology is good and bad. I think when you could look at maybe celebrities or people attending Coachella from like 2002 to 2010, they were wearing outfits that you could recreate yourself. I think a bit of that accessibility for people is what they're missing. It's not so much that they don't like Coachella. They just wish that there was something they could relate to a bit more, I think. Yeah, people didn't really wear like, I mean, they would sometimes wear some big brands, but that wasn't really the thing to wear like Chanel or things like that. It was just Mm kind of like crazy shirts or things that look like, like I raided my parents' closet and took things from there it's funny because I feel like the 80s was briefly not in style in the 90s and then it like has perpetually been in style since like 2003 or so. It kind of went out a bit in the early 2010s when I think 90s fashion took over again. True, and yeah. Everyone was wearing all these 90s outfits and then moving towards like this Y2K kind of look and now we have indie sleeves so yeah because <laughs> that had the 80s nods and I love that so. Yeah the 2000s perspective of the 80s which Maybe the 80s had a little bit of like 50s in it or something. Someone on Twitter that I know that's fairly reputable was talking about how like we shouldn't glorify the indie sleaze era because there was no political side to it. And I was like, why does every movement or music era or whatever have to have a political aspect to it? Like, why can't it just be about music? I get that it should have it sometimes or at the right time but it was apolitical because we were just so burnt out on the post 9-11 life i mean that's like new york was the like birthplace of like the indie sleaze or the indie rock scene of the early 2000s it was a release from like the just depressing news and you know the economy sucked we didn't know what we wanted to do with our lives because, you know, we were told after college we could get a job. You just need a college degree. And there was no such thing as that at the time. And it sucks because there's some people that I know that are very successful today, but it's almost they lost years of sorts of professionalism of being in the industry they wanted to be in because there was just no guidance and we were just kind of wandering. And this was our release in the evenings or so you know, being together and partying and hedonism in some sense, but as you'd say, it's just like our uh, mental coping. Youth culture has always just got that problem of glorification of drugs and alcohol, and it didn't go away when Indie Sleaze was over. And I think it's just that it was the first youth culture being documented online. So in that way, anything bad that happened was amplified by news headlines in a way that if there was something bad that happened in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s, it's like you didn't hear about it. So, you know, it is good to look back and sort of decide, okay, these things sucked, so let's not bring that back. But then these certain things rocked and let's keep that why do you have to throw everything away yeah also it's a part of the whole clickbait era that we're in i guess i don't know if you can call it that but you make a lot more money now i think to have a headline that is negative or is a hot take 
about something. Yes. The celebratory nature of your photographs is really what people are missing in their lives. So yeah. Yeah. And you even went to uh, Daft Punk's big show, right, in 2006 or 2007? That was 2006. So Daft Punk played, and I was a fan. I, I liked them. I didn't really care so much for the new album, but I was really into their other albums. And I was being into electronic music, which was not really cool at the time. It was me and, like, two or three other friends that were into that. We would listen to it, but I didn't really talk about it much with other friends because it just wasn't cool and what was interesting is that the pyramid was the big thing because that was like a build-up that was you know this pyramid would just do like a few little things and then suddenly they were playing at the top of the pyramid and suddenly it would light up in different ways that you didn't think it was going to do and they kind of like they just did a really good job of building it up and like the showmanship and everything behind it was like a paradigm shift for indie rock and music and djing and all that stuff and there was also the Simeon versus Justice remix, which may have come out five or six years before it got big or something like that. And that show really changed a lot of people. I know this guy, Matt Goldman, he worked for Studio One, which was like uh, Shepard Ferry, his company. And he like immediately wanted to get into producing events and things like that. And he did some like pretty big sized events around LA. So it was like that type of moment where if you had a view of the crowd, you can point out all the different people in the crowd and like who they became later type of thing. That's probably what it would look like in a movie. That's it. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I love also that you bring up Never Be Alone Again. You told me about this whole thing that I didn't even know about where Kanye West famously interrupts Justice. Oh, who does he interrupt? Somi. Yes, on stage. And, you know, he's famous for interrupting Taylor Swift and even somewhat Beck, I guess. That was kind of like half interruption. Yeah. But technically, this was his first foray into interrupting someone's acceptance award yeah he thought he deserved it right because he had spent a million dollars on that music video for was it touch the sky i think it was i think so yeah can you for our listeners tell them why this was a big moment it was probably coupled with the fact that justice at the time also was like doing their first dj set tour in the u.s which started with la so that happening simultaneously was like funny but it was like Kind of similar to when a lot of my friends were on MySpace early on. The first time we heard about MySpace on the news, something that was just in our small world suddenly made it into this like mainstream news cycle or something like that. And people are starting to know what this is or understand or find out what this is. It was just really bizarre. The fact that even Justice were like MTV was cool at some point. Now it turned into this like reality mush, but it was just so weird thinking that like the music we listen to is now like being acknowledged by MTV and the fact that Kanye did something so bizarre like that. It's like so weird. It was just one of those instances, you know, where things are starting to bubble up and, you know, you see it happening. Yeah. It made for a really great TV, but I don't think most people know about this moment, which is interesting. And the fact that Later on, he ended up having to apologize to Somi, I think, and also Ed Banger, I believe, because he wanted to use a sample of Daft Punk's... Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger? Yes. Someone needs to fact check me, but I believe there's some sort of video of Somi saying, like, let me make your video, Kanye, and then he makes Good Life, and then Good Life wins the next year. So that's pretty funny, too, that Kanye's like, if you can't beat him, join him, and then... You know, that is a good video. It was very catchy and brilliant how Somi animated it. And it was like really fun. Somi introduced me to Kanye at a Jeremy Scott party at Coachella. 
What did you think of him when you met him? I didn't have like a conversation and talk to him. I'm like, he's just there, you know, being him, but not really like trying to like make conversation and all that. Like I wasn't insulted or he didn't do anything bad. It was just kind of neutral, I would say. And I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> he let me take a photo and that's cool. What's like one song that really, when you hear it, it brings you back to this era? Okay, so, because I'm like classic DJ type, so it's like, of course I'm going to pick something that, I don't think it's obscure, but it's like not one of the big ones, and I'm definitely playing it in my DJ set at Just Like Heaven, and it's Felix the House Cat Ready to Wear, which, you know, you can kind of categorize it as Electro Clash, or it came out like maybe, what, 2004 or something, or three. He did play at like a Jeremy Scott party sometime, and then he'd play a club called Ronda, and he was just like known in the scene for a while, but that song has just got this like really really good funky vibe but also it's just like a fun song that still works in my like story one day i asked people what their ultimate bloghouse anthem is and you submitted that one and yes. so i added it to the playlist which listeners can check out on youtube and spotify and apple music you're part of a dj duo called the cosmic kids and you're playing just like heaven fest what type of music do you like to play typically? We're going to play what we always play. And that's usually back to like when I saw some of these musicians DJ and they would play the stuff that influenced them. And that's like stuff from the 70s and 80s when like there was punk and disco and then Italo disco in the 80s because disco didn't die in Europe. So it's more of the stuff that influenced the musicians. So it's like more timeless stuff. Depending on the stage setup, we may be just playing vinyl records like we always did, but sometimes it's hard to find a good vinyl setup these days, so I don't know. But yeah, there's like edits of disco tracks, there's a little bit of new stuff, some post-punk, and some house in there as well, and probably some Daft Punk. Like you said, it's kind of hard with the vinyl setup, and I actually don't see that many people doing that as much anymore, probably because of the complications with finding a rig or whatever, or getting everything set up. It's complicated, and you got to lug your vinyl with you. If it's making your bag heavy, it has to be really good, and it has to be worth playing instead of a file that barely takes room on your computer. It's less disposable when it's a record. Mm -hmm. So I think that changes your music taste, but also changes what you can find. The first time I DJed with Dan, we played at this place called The Shortstop, and it was the Rapture after party. I told DJ AM, I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this. It's going to be the first time we're going to play, and we're going to play vinyl. And, you know, it'd be nice if you show up because it's kind of nerve wracking that we're doing this. And he's like, I want to DJ too. I'll bring vinyl. And I talked to the promoter, and the promoter was like, oh, I'm not going to pay his fees. You know, he could do it for free. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. I'll do it for free. And he sent over his sound guy and his sound guy set up everything. And it was just like a very supportive of the younger kids. There were a few people who were just like the connectors and the supportive people like Blue Gems from New York. He bridged New York and LA together. Both of them, sadly, are not alive today. But they definitely had a lot of impact in bringing people together. And there were people like Louisa. She's got a touring act now. You know, and Gina Turner. It wasn't just a guy scene. There could be more representation from women. And I think that may have changed. I think there's definitely more female DJs out there. Oh, yeah. Especially here in Toronto. Yeah. I could see you DJing. Oh, thank you. I've always wanted to. It's like stand-up. I've always wanted to do it, but I'm just like too shy. So we'll see. Maybe I will. I have Ableton. I could probably throw something together. I have some ideas that I think I want to run past you. I think, you you know, you can take what you want, you know. Yeah, that'd be sick. But yeah, the fun of vinyl, too. Like, the last time I saw someone DJing with vinyl was actually a 
Elijah Wood. Oh, where was that? He was part of a duo with um, Wooden Wisdom. Yes, Wooden Wisdom. Yeah, I saw them play in Toronto and it was so fun. I was front row. Elijah Wood gave me water and I was Whoa. like, thank you. This is like my dream. Yeah. Dan, who I DJ with, he actually toured a little bit with Wooden Wisdom and he seems like the child star that I would be friends with. It was fun to like hang out with him and he was like a normal dude too. You know, he wasn't any like diva or anything like that. What's one vintage tech item you hope to see ride this tech nostalgia wave that you haven't already mentioned, or maybe is a bit underrated in your opinion? Wow, that's a tough one. You know, it's kind of a good answer because it goes along with everything I was saying. Digital cameras, keep your phone in your pocket, save the battery and shoot with a digital camera. I mean, do film too, if you can afford doing that. I went on a tour with RAC and Classics and Jerome LOL, who was in like DJ Daughter's Stadium. I don't know if anyone knows all this stuff. I hope they do. I went with my DJ partner, Dan. We went from Baja, California to Vancouver, Canada, and we bought a VHS camera somewhere near San Diego. And this was like 2012. And I just remember seeing like our iPhones and seeing like a Google self-driving car and VHS, which you couldn't really emulate yet on an iPhone. So it'd be funny that we start seeing like these pixelated photos of like modern times where like that doesn't happen anymore. That would be cool. I could see something like that happen. Like someone has like a Canon power shot, you know, silver camera in the club instead of like their iPhone or something. I think that'd be hilarious. So there's my answer. (laughs) No, that's a great answer. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's been so great talking to you. We need to go and visit each other's Animal Crossing islands because for listeners who don't know, Ron is very good. He has a very great eye for design and his Animal Crossing (laughs) island is legendary. And I've heard tales of how amazing it is and I'd love to visit. Pandemic love. (laughs) Yeah, I'll come in my most indie sleaze outfit that I can apply to my Animal Crossing avatar and we can visit each other's islands. Mine is in disarray right now we uh, need, like landscapers to come in and i'll give you my island and you can <laughs> the town make me a house on there and, yeah yeah and for listeners make sure you follow ron at ron underscore snake on instagram to see much more of his amazing photography you need to check it out they're really a great time capsule of this era We'll have you again on the pod soon, maybe to talk strictly just movies and music in general, and that would be fun, so. Oh, request that it would be me and Camille. Hell yeah, let's get Camille on. I love Camille. She's hilarious, and she was like my pal through a lot of this. Definitely, let's do that. Cool. Thanks again, Ron. See you later. See you later. See you later.